turn in your Bible with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll continue working our way through this letter. We'll be in verses 12 and 13 this morning. Our sermon is entitled Pastor Appreciation. And since we're on that subject, thank you very much for your uh, gift of appreciation last week in recognition of Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, it was very much uh, appreciated by uh, my family. It came at uh, just the right time. It's funny how God knows what we need when we need it, and God provides for us. And so from the bottom of my heart and from my family, thank you all very much uh, for that gift last week. Now, it might seem kind of ironic with the timing of the gift last week and then the sermon this week. And uh, if somebody didn't know any better, they would just walk in out the street and say, why is this guy preaching on this today? Why is he telling everybody, hey, you all need to appreciate me? You know, it's kind of an awkward thing, really. Uh, I, I told Nancy a couple of times throughout this week, I said, you know, this is, this is kind of a, uh, an uncomfortable thing for me to preach about this week. Um, and uh, she said, well, why are you preaching it? And I said, because it's next. You know, that's the, the beauty of going through systematic exposition through a book of the Bible is you don't, you don't have the, the, the privilege of, of jumping around and, and ignoring things that make you uncomfortable. And, and uh, I know Steve said something last week to that regard of how, you know, God will lay it on my heart and I will preach difficult things. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago I preached about sex and that didn't bother me near as much as this one did today. It's just kind of awkward thing for me to stand here and say some of these things. Nevertheless, it is in the Word of God. And uh, I do pray that it will be received uh, um, accordingly as I preach it uh, with, with humility. This last part of the letter, Paul began back in chapter 4, verse 1, saying that we are to please God. And then he told the church, he said, you all are doing these things, but I want you to excel still more. And so what pleases God is, is, a, is a life that's devoted to him and a life that's committed to growth. And then Paul begins to share ways in which we as believers can, can grow spiritually as we are plugged into a local church. He said back in chapter 4 that concerning the love of the brethren, and so we know we are to love one another. In the end of chapter 4, in the context of the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead, the rapture of the church, and our reunion with our loved ones that have already gone on before us, with him, uh, Paul says to comfort one another with these words. That's a practical way that we can love one another is to comfort one another with Scripture. Then last week we talked about in verse 11, Paul said in the context of the day of the Lord and the coming judgment and, and how that might unsettle us to some degree, Paul says in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. That's another practical way that we can serve our church and love one another is to encourage and to give, to give heart to one another and to build up one another, to prop each other up on the leaning side, as the old saying goes. That is how we can show love for one another, and God is pleased with that when we excel in these matters in the church. Now today we're going to see in verse 13, Paul says, live in peace with one another. And that's another way we can please God, another way we can demonstrate our love for one another as a church to live in peace with one another. And it's, it's, a, it's a good general statement, but Paul puts this in the context of what we see here today, the relationship between the church and those whom God has called to lead the church. And what is our message today in that regard? It is this, respect those men who faithfully fulfill the calling 
to lead God's church. That we as believers are called to respect those men who faithfully fulfill God's calling to lead His church. I want to invite you to stand with me at this time for the reverence, the reading of the Holy Word of God, if you are able to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Let's pray together. Father, it is so good to be in your house today surrounded by your people. Father, to feel uh, the, the fellowship, to feel the love and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Father, it's also so good to open up your word and to be fed, Lord, from your scriptures. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us today through your word. I pray, Father, that you would sanctify me as your vessel, as your instrument to deliver your word. And I pray, God, that uh, we will meditate upon what we hear, that it will penetrate our hearts, and that it will grow us closer in our love for one another and draw us closer in our love for you. And, Father, may those who may not know Christ today, may they be convicted of their sin, shown the truth that they need a Savior and that Jesus is the only one who has died and paid the penalty for their sin. But also show them that Jesus rose again, triumphant over the grave, and he has the power now to transform lives for all eternity. Father, I pray that Jesus is glorified and your church is edified through what is preached today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We start in verse 12 by seeing Paul saying, But we, we request of you, brethren. And so Paul begins with a, a request. Now, a request from the Apostle Paul does carry some weight. It ought to carry some authority. Now, Paul is not, he's not demanding something here. He's saying, church, we, we request that you do this. But, uh, again, a request from the Apostle Paul does carry some weight. And then Paul mentions some things that are some good general truths that would apply to any and every congregation. As God has called churches together and God has called men to lead these churches, what Paul says is, is applicable to any setting of believers. But remember, Paul was writing to a specific church. And so as Paul was giving these general truths, he had a specific fellowship in mind. And so that leads us to ask the question, I wonder why Paul was addressing this topic. Could it be that there were maybe some issues between the church and its leadership, maybe some, some points of friction. Now, one thing to remember, Paul was writing to a brand new church. These were brand new Christians, perhaps only uh, being in the Lord for a few months at this time. So it's a brand new body of believers, brand new Christians. Some of these folks that are in that church, probably the majority of them from the lower social class. Some of them perhaps even slaves not used to being in positions of authority and leadership. And in this setting of new Christians, a new church, lower social class, suddenly God begins to call and gift some of these men to lead that church. And perhaps there were some kind of questioning, now who is he 
Who is this guy to stand up and tell me I need to do this or believe that? And perhaps that was what was driving Paul to address this, but nevertheless, it, as I said, it is a general truth. And so what Paul was saying to that church is very applicable to us today. Now, in speaking of spiritual leadership in the church, the New Testament uses three different terms interchangeably to refer to men who are in a, a position of authority or an office of spiritual leadership in the church. The one word that's used more than any others is elder. Elder. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the guy's older than the rest. But what that means is, is, a, is a spiritual leader ought to be one who is spiritually mature. One who, who knows the Word of God, one who, who practices the Word of God, one who knows how to apply specific truths in specific settings. An elder, one who is wise and has authority. Another word that's used is overseer. King James uh, um, uses the word bishop, translates the word bishop. Overseer, that's one who, who has oversight over the church. One who's, who, who is above and is able to look out and to observe, and one who's able to lead and direct, it, it, it denotes authority. Overseer. Then the third word that's used actually is the one that's used the least in the New Testament, but is used uh, primarily in churches today, and it is the word pastor. Pastor literally means shepherd. One who, who shepherds the flock of God. One who, who protects, who fights off the enemy, one who feeds, and one who leads and directs, one who is there to comfort, pastor. Now, in this text, those three terms are not used specifically. The titles are not there, but the job descriptions sure are. And so when we look at this, also we see that Paul is saying, those who, singular, do these three things, diligently labor, have charge, give instruction. He's not referring to one group labors, another group has oversight, another group instructs. He's referring to one group who does all three things. And those three things, Paul mentions in the present tense, that means these are, are continual things. These are the normal practice of these men. They constantly do these three things. And with those things in mind, we learn, first of all, that in a church that God expects certain things of spiritual leaders. And we see the actions in verse 12 that are required of the shepherd. If we use the term pastor as shepherd, we see the actions that God requires of the shepherd. What does faithful ministry to the flock of God look like? What does it entail? Well, Paul says, first thing we see about a servant leader is he must be a servant leader. A servant leader, verse 12 says, Brethren, that those who diligently labor among you, diligently labor, that refers to strenuous work. It's work that is, that is sweaty, working uh, up to the point of physical exhaustion, if need be. And Paul says that we are to recognize and appreciate those who labor in this regard. Ministry is hard work. And he says those men who, who diligently labor, those who are willing to work hard at being successful in ministry. Now ministry is a thing that some could go into to try to find easy work, but to be successful and to honor the Lord, it takes hard work. And Paul says the church should appreciate those who diligently labor 
labor. It is a work. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that those who aspire to the office of overseer, they aspire to, it is a fine work that he seeks to do. Then he goes on also in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, after saying all Scripture is God-breathed, he says it, it is profitable for those so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God expects and God demands those who lead his flock to work hard at the task. But notice what he says also here. He says, those who labor, who diligently labor among you. Amongst you. A servant leader is to be amongst his people, is to be one of the congregation. It's not just, well, there's the congregation over here, and here's the pastor over here. No, the pastor is to be amongst the flock. How could a shepherd feed his flock unless he is amongst his flock? You think of a shepherd having a staff and putting the food on the end of it and sticking it way out, you know, and saying, sheep, come and get it. No, the, the shepherd is there amongst his flock. How can the shepherd protect his flock unless he is there with his flock? And so a servant leader, how can you serve unless you are part of? That means we are to have shared experiences together. That means a pastor who serves is much more likely as he labors diligently amongst his people, he's much more likely to earn their respect by doing so. He must be a servant leader. But also he must be a senior leader. From the terminology used here in verse 12, he says, Brother, and those who, who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. Have charge over you. That means the pastor or the shepherd is to be not only a, a servant, he is also a leader. Sometimes we, we have the image, well, if someone is my servant, then I am over them. But Paul says, no, the shepherd serves the people and he is in charge over them in the Lord. That means a servant leader, a shepherd is to have a position of authority. He is to preside over, literally to, to look and direct and to move the flock in the right direction that they need to go. But notice it says here, those who have charge over you in the Lord. It's a very important phrase. In the Lord, that means the pastor is accountable to Jesus for how a pastor leads and how a pastor exercises oversight and the charge by which he leads the church, the pastor is to be accountable to the Lord. It is ultimately God's flock. The Holy Spirit has appointed shepherds and elders over the flock of God, whom Jesus purchased through his death and resurrection. And so with that in mind, a, a pastor ought to lead accordingly by Christ's character, Christ's example, have charge over you in the Lord. That means a pastor doesn't have a free reign to lead his church any way he sees fit. No, the pastor is to seek the Lord's will. And as the pastor determines the Lord's will, then it is the responsibility of the shepherd to be a senior leader to preside and to direct according to the will of God. But also he is to be a spiritual leader. Verse 12 says, 
not only those who diligently labor and those who have charge, but he says also those who give you instruction. Now instruction here, the word used, is not one of just imparting knowledge, just for knowledge's sake. No, it's one of admonishment. It is one of correction, if need be. One who instructs you to do what you need to do. In other words, the pastor has the responsibility to see the flock and, and to straighten out improper beliefs. To say, I love you, but what you are teaching or what you are holding to is not right. Let me show you from Scripture why you are in error. Or if a church member has a particular behavior that's not right. The shepherd has a responsibility to say, I love you, but what you're doing is not pleasing to the Lord. Let me show you from God's Word why this is so. And so as a spiritual leader, the pastor bears authority, but the authority that comes from the Word of God. The responsibility to teach and to lead and to correct, if need be, according to God's revelation. Book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, I think, really sums up what a spiritual leader is to be. Paul says, The elders who rule well, there's the oversight, the charge over, those who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. We'll come back to that. Especially those who work hard, there's the diligently laboring. He says, at preaching and teaching, there's the spiritual instruction. Paul says the elders who do these things, and it is what is expected of the church. That means he is not to be abusive of his authority. He's not to be misleading, but he is to rule well according to God's direction and God's purpose. But we also see in that verse and in what we're looking at in our text today that the church also has a responsibility in response to those who do these things. He says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So we learn from that and from our text today that there is affection that is required of the sheep. There are actions required of the shepherd, things that I am to do as a leader of the flock of God. And then there is affection, a response that God requires of you as the congregation. God's expectations for the response to this kind of leadership. We see it, first of all, in verse 12. He says, respect pastoral leadership. Respect pastoral leadership. Verse 12, he says, We request of you, brethren, that you do what? Appreciate those. Appreciate means to, to know or to be familiar with or to take note. That means to observe the leadership. And when you see those doing these things, diligently laboring and having charge and giving instruction, Paul says, appreciate those. Take note of those who do these things. Appreciate. You know, sometimes it's easy to underappreciate someone who does their job well. Someone who shows up to work and someone who is, who is faithful in their attendance and somebody who does what they do without upsetting the, the, the cart and, 
And, and sometimes we can overlook those who do what they do well. Sometimes it's easy for me to overlook and underappreciate some of you for what you do in the church, for the labor that you provide, to take you for granted. And when I do that, I, I apologize for that. But he says also to appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And he says also appreciate those who have charge over you. We don't always appreciate those in positions of authority, do we? <laughs> you know, sometimes we think, you know, I don't want to have someone in authority over me. It's especially difficult in this type of a setting where the authority I have is over a volunteer army. You know, your paycheck, your paycheck is not dependent upon whether or not you respect my authority. You know? A, a coach has the, the right to bench players that don't submit to his authority. I can't do that. So sometimes it is difficult to appreciate those whom God has placed to have spiritual oversight. To say, you know, this guy's here and he's here to represent the Lord. And my response to his authority is in some ways a reflection of my response to the authority of Christ. If he's leading according to the will of Christ. Or sometimes it's hard to appreciate those who provide instruction or those who give correction. To say, you know, who is he to tell me this belief I have is not right? Who is he to tell me that, that what I'm doing is sin? You know, and he was without sin cast the first stone. You know, he's a sinner just like me. What gives him the right? You know, sometimes it's hard to appreciate those who are looking out for our best interests spiritually and to not be defensive when correction does come our way. But Paul says, respect pastoral leadership. Verse 13, he says, and that you esteem them very highly. Esteem very highly, literally to the highest degree possible, beyond measure, that when you see those leading in this fashion, Paul says, esteem them very highly. Respect pastoral leadership. But also he tells the church to reciprocate pastoral love, to return the love that is given to them. He says that you esteem them very highly in Love. In love, it's the word agape. That's the supernatural love. The divine love, the unselfish kind of love, the love that considers someone's interests more important than your own. The sacrificial kind of love. And Paul says, if you've got a man who is leading in this way, diligently laboring, having charge over you in the Lord and is providing you instruction. He says, esteem that man very highly in love. As he is loving you, return, reciprocate that kind of love. It is practical. It's an investment into the life of someone. In other words, it's not just respecting a man because of the office that he holds or the title that he has. It is a sincere affection. It is meaningful of saying, I respect that man and I really love that man. I love that man. I love his family because of what he provides to me and to my church. Paul says, esteem them very highly in love. But not only that, Paul says, recognize pastoral labors 
pastoral labors. He says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So Paul says to understand and appreciate that ministry is hard. For a man to labor in this way and have charge over you in the Lord to be a representative of Christ and to instruct and correct and rebuke when necessary, Paul says, that's tough. It's hard. You know, I, I didn't really understand this first coming into ministry, but after 12 years or so, I've come to understand you're never off the clock. You know, you don't go in, punch a clock, and work, punch the clock when you get off and, and you're, you're free. And you, it's hard to explain, but there is this constant weight, this concern for the flock, for someone who may be hurting physically or emotionally, someone who might be straying, and your heart breaks for them. Or the idea that at any moment that phone call might come, and then everything has to shift. The flexibility that's required, it, it, it's hard. Now, I say that not to try to, to draw your sympathy, but just to give you a little bit of an insight into why it is important to recognize pastoral labors. It's not just a job that, that you have on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, and the rest of the time you golf. It could be. Honestly, there are some men who do that. But to honor the Lord and to please God, it takes a lot of work. And it's not easy, contrary to what it might look like, for me to stand up here Sunday after Sunday, open this book, and to say something about what it says. Because if you carry the conviction like I do that this is God's word and you carry the conviction I do that preaching is to say thus saith the Lord that my thoughts and my conviction is that when I stand here and preach I am bearing God's responsibility and if I say something that's not right then I'm accountable to God for that talk about a burden and a weight it's not something I take flippantly that's why I spend so much time in study and in preparation. And I'm unapologetic for that. Because as I stand here and I represent the Lord, I'm accountable to Him for what I say. And if I mislead you, that not only impacts me, it impacts you. And I've got to give an account, Scripture says. I have to give an account to the Lord for how I shepherd you. That's why I labor so hard, spend so much time in study. But the bulk of my time every week is spent with my family and spent in the study of the Scriptures. And, and that's the truth. And as much as I can, I seek to reach out and, and to visit and to be there when you need me. And I do those things as, as best I can. But understand, that's what I have to do to honor the Lord. And I think as the church is aware of this and the church understands this and the church steps in and provides assistance and says, you know, I know my pastor is, is busy in the Word of God and I know that there is a need out there. Maybe I should just, instead of expecting him to meet it, maybe I should go and meet that need. Maybe I can make that visit. Maybe I can, can, can make that phone call. 
Maybe I can step up and, and take care of this. You know, that's a way you can demonstrate affection for your pastor. To understand what I do and to assist me in doing what I do. Affection required of the sheep as actions are required of the shepherd. Then the end of verse 13, we have an interesting phrase here that some debate whether this is supposed to go with what follows it or whether this phrase is meant to stand by itself or better yet, I believe it's meant to go with what was just said. And it is this, that we see accommodation is required of both. It means pastors and lay people alike share this common responsibility. Paul says, live in peace with one another. And interestingly, Paul began by saying, we request of you to do this. Then we come to this phrase, it's an imperative verb. That means it's a command. Paul says, I don't, I don't request this of you. I demand this of you. Live in peace with one another. Now we might think, well, the, well, the one another, that means with my fellow church members. And yes, that does denote that. And that is a way that you can show your appreciation, your affection to me. You all just get along with one another. Oh, that makes what I do so much better, so much smoother, so much easier. When you all like each other. But when there's conflict and when there's friction, it makes it tough. But Paul says, live in peace with one another. Now, it does denote amongst the flock. But remember, I'm among you. I'm among you. And so live in peace with one another. I believe Paul's saying, pastors, church members, get along with one another. And it doesn't always happen. And you all know that. Either you all have experienced that yourselves or you, you, you're familiar with other congregations where that happens and there's conflict between leadership and the laity. It makes it hard, but Paul says a practical way, remember, to please God, excel still more, love of the brethren, live in peace with one another. That means you and I both need to strive for unity in the church. Live in peace with one another. Strive for unity. That means we must do our part. I must do my part. You must do your part. And we always must be flexible to understand I am a fallen man with a sin nature. You all are fallen people with a sin nature. And sometimes I can say things to upset you. Sometimes you can say things to upset me. And we just have to understand, hey, look, I need to be flexible. I don't need to hold on to a grudge. I don't need to expect something more than this person's able to provide. I need to look at you that way. You need to look at me that way. We need to be people that forgive and move on. We need, to people that, that don't, need to be people that don't talk about one another behind each other's backs. We need to people, be people that, that are supportive of each other. Not tearing down, but remember, building up one another. I need to do that you need to do that. Leaders in the congregation both working in harmony and understand it's in both of our best interests. As I said, you make it so much easier with me when you all get along with each other. It's so much better for you whenever I'm in harmony with you and you're in harmony with me and we understand one another. And as the church submits to the leadership 
of godly leadership. To understand that society cannot function without leadership and submission. And we both understand our roles and understand I'm accountable to God and I'm accountable for you and I need to lead you accordingly. And your response is to be accordingly. It means to submit to leaders who are submitting to Christ. Best way to think about that. We need to strive for unity in the church and we need to serve with urgency in the church. Remember what Paul's been talking about at the end of chapter 4? Start of chapter 5. In fact, in every chapter of this letter, Paul has talked about what? The second coming of Christ. We're in the last days, folks. Time's running out. And if we spend all of our time not getting along with one another, guess what happens? The mission is hindered. We all suffer. Nothing gets done that needs to get done. I think about all the uh, elections that just took place. What was everybody's campaign speech? I promise I will reach across the aisle. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Maybe to reach across the aisle and slap somebody. Maybe that's what they mean by that. But everybody promises, I promise I will get along with the other side. And that never happens. And our country as a whole suffers because of that. Inflexibility on both sides, failed promises, lack of peace. And Paul says, it happens in the church too. When we don't strive for unity and we don't serve with a sense of urgency, that there are people that are lost and going to hell because they don't have a relationship with Christ. And we know this. What are we doing about this? Paul says, when you live in peace with one another, you are much more likely to fulfill the Great Commission. You're not burning up all your time and energy fighting one another and struggling for power. Say, who has the power in the church? Well, I'm the pastor. I have power. Well, we pay your salary. We have power. Paul says, live in peace. Live in peace with one another. Pastor appreciation. You know, I'm often asked... And I thought this would be a good time to address this in this context. I'm often asked, what are your plans? When you finish up your, your doctoral degree, what do you plan to do? First of all, I plan to celebrate. <laughs> I, I plan to rejoice. And people, no, 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 it's not what we, we want to... Are you staying or are you leaving? Is what people are driving at with that. And, and for some reason there is this sense or this expectation in talking to folks outside the church, even sometimes in the church, there's a sense, well, you get a higher degree, that means you're going to leave for a bigger church. People say, well, you know, you, you want to have a, a bigger congregation. You want to have a, a bigger salary. Well, I got to do a little number crunching this week thinking about those things. Now, understand this. When I first came as pastor here in May of 2008, I went back and looked. That month we averaged 49 people in worship and 28 in Sunday school. In way of comparison, in September of this year, we averaged 77 in worship and 59 in Sunday school. Looked at the board this morning. We had 65 in Sunday school, 79 last week. Folks were growing. This idea of, well, he wants a bigger church, or we're, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're moving in that direction. 
And if we carry the same idea over in six years, we saw this. If we duplicate that six years from now, we're going to average 105 in worship and 92 in Sunday school. So what that tells me is why would I want to leave for a bigger church when this church is growing and becoming a bigger church? First of all, you say, well, what about the salary? Well, what about the salary? I'm making $15,000 more a year on my pay package now than I was when I first came. So what that tells me is as the church is growing, the church is responding and appreciating that and reciprocating that. Our numbers are growing, our budget's growing. Guess what? Your salary increases. You know, a bigger audience to preach to would be nice. A bigger salary would be nice. Don't get me wrong. But I hope you understand that's not what drives me to do what I do. I do what I do because God has called me to do it. And if that means a bigger congregation and a bigger salary, then praise God. But if that means being faithful to what God has given me, that's what I'm going to do. And you know, you think about those things, you can, you can judge numbers and, and, and those type of things, but there's also intangibles involved in this. You know what those intangibles are? We just read them. Paul says, as you diligently labor, which I strive to do, as you have charge over those which in the Lord, which I strive to do, as you provide instruction, which I strive to do, Paul says that the church sees that, the church is to appreciate that, and the church is to esteem very highly in love those who do that. You all are upholding your end of the bargain. That's what makes me want to stay more than anything. So live in peace with one another. That's going on here. I'm not having any kickback from you. You're not having any, I hope, any oppressive leadership from me intangibles I have no desire to go anywhere I really don't am I going to say I will never leave no I will never say that because you can't say that either but what I can tell you is I have no desire I have no ambition to finish my degree move out of here my ambition is to finish my degree hopefully be a more faithful and more capable preacher because of that and then exercise that and diligently labor in doing that so that you will be fed and so that we can grow together. That's my desire. It's my goal. So we think about what a pastor is. Finally, pastors are Christ's representatives. Christ's representatives. That means as I stand and preach, I'm, I'm saying this is what Jesus is saying. And I'd better be right when I say that, so... Pray for me and, and help me labor towards that. That also means the authority that I carry is, is derived from him and his word. It means you all hold me accountable to this. And if I'm leading you in preaching according to this, then God's expectation is that you submit to that and appreciate that and esteem that. As I'm submitting to Christ and you're submitting to godly leadership, then we will be at peace with one another. Sometimes easier said than done. 
but it's happening here. You all are appreciating your pastor. And I appreciate you. Let's pray together.